Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. You're back. It is Thursday, July 6th. 2023. Okay, Dr. Moeller, I heard that. I knew exactly what you were doing. In case you can't tell, guys, we both listen to the daily briefing on a pretty regular basis. We do. And Pastor PJ listens to it so much, he can replicate the cadence of Dr. Moeller's voice. Go listen to Dr. Moeller this morning. Hey, speaking of Dr. Moeller, um, we just want to let you guys know and just encourage you. I know the the majority of those listening are our church family here, and without uh, any apology. This is who it's primarily aimed at is our, our church family here at Compass North Texas. That's right. We have somebody who's here uh, pretty new with us that is uh, coming from Southern Seminary. Ooh, and not just Southern. Not just Southern, but he was uh, with and, and on the briefing team with Dr. Moeller. He started looking like Dr. Moeller. A little bit. Yeah, he, he'd have the same physical hand gestures and movements. Like yeah. that, that thing that Dr. Moeller does where he shakes his hands in front of him where he's making a point. Yeah. Mark does that as And well. he went toe-to-toe with Rick, with, uh, Rick Warren too, I think, that one time. Mark did? No, maybe that was just Dr. Moeller. <laughs> Dr. Moeller. Couldn't tell. Can't tell the difference. Anyways, we're talking about Mark Kogan. And, Mark uh, Kogan. He and his family have joined us. We are so thankful for them. He is going to be our Kidsman director here. Or I guess not going to be. He is our Kidsman director. He is to be. At, uh, Present tense continuous. At Compass Bible Church in North Texas. And we are so grateful for that. He is bringing a wealth of knowledge. and A wealth uh, of family. A wealth of family, which is great. And he is passionate about building an awesome Kidsman ministry for us here. Thanks, so, Mark. Uh, Mark yeah. with the C, M-A-R-C. We're glad that he's here. If you're part of our church family, make sure you welcome him and his family because they will be with us uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, he's we a young excited. buck, but he's, he's wise. Yep. Young and wise. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, speaking of young and wise, that that uh, leads us to our Old Testament reading today. But Mark is nothing like Elihu. Let's just put it out there. I, well, he's not ever looked at me and been like, I'm young in years and you are aged. <laughs> Although maybe. He might have implied it a few times, but right. we're going to not hold that against him. No, we won't. Anyways, we're in chapter 32 and chapter 33 where we continue from uh, to hear from Elihu. And, 33 uh, and 34, you mean? 33 and 34. That's what I meant. And that's what actually what I said. I oh. think you misheard, okay. Pastor Rod. Okay. No, that's not true. 30, 32 and 33. 33 and 34. 33 and 34. Are you still Stop here? taking us back. What's going on? What are you doing? 33. Um, Elihu here confronts Job and it's 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 an interesting diatribe that he goes off on. But basically what he's saying here, I, I believe is, Hey, God does speak. God is communicating. That's God right. isn't silent. And the issue is probably not so much with God's lack of communication as your ability to perceive him speaking, which Job said previously, right? I don't know where he's at. I can't touch him. Can't see right. him. Can't smell him. Right. Right. And he's just kind of affirming that for lack of a better uh, way to put that. But uh, he says that in verse 14, God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. He's just saying that, that he does this in a multitude of ways, that there's not just one way that God chooses to communicate, but has communicated in many ways, dreams and visions. And then he goes on, he says, with pain in verse 19, sometimes God speaks through our pain, through our suffering as he's disciplining us. Um, yeah, he's... Uh, it, goes through all the different ways there and then kind of ends in verses 29, 30 and 31 and, and encourages Job, hey, just, can you be thankful that you are alive? Like this was an, an act of God's mercy that he didn't send you to the pit in the, the current state that you're in, but you should be thankful that you do still see the light of day and have an opportunity to hear from him. 
Yeah, it seems like Ellie, who's got, I mean, it's, it's a sophisticated argument, I think, if I could give him the benefit of a doubt here. He's, he's essentially getting at this sense of, hey, Job, recognize that God is, I mean, God's not silent, to quote one of our favorite authors. God's not silent. He has things to say, and you just need to be aware that he's saying all sorts of things. And then in the pain in particular, I think what he's getting at is there's redemption in the pain. God's got a purposeful, good reason that you may not perceive, but he's talking to you. And if you have the wisdom to hear it, well, hear it and respond positively. Yeah. And we were talking right before this, again, just trying to evaluate Elihu here a little bit more. And it's it's interesting. He's got this, like, for instance, in verse 31, he says, pay attention, O Job, and listen to me. Be silent and I will speak. Oof. And we read that and it's it's harsh to our ears. But also, I, I do think we have to remember that we're in a different context culturally and with different linguistic structures and and and, and grammar than than perhaps they had at the original uh, writing of this and, and the, the, the time that it took place. But uh, Pastor Rod, you were reading a little bit more about Elihu and, and give us some of what you read. I think D.A. Carson said some things about Elihu that may be helpful to our understanding of who he is. So Carson's position, D.A. Carson, in his book, How Long, O Lord, I recommended you guys read this a few episodes back, but he would suggest to us that Elihu um, is not praised by God because his contribution, quote, is eclipsed by what God himself says. In other words, Elihu's going to say something in seed form that God will say in its full embellishment and its full flower. Secondly, he says that Elihu's not criticized, quote, because he says nothing amiss, end quote. The idea here is that Elihu is in some ways blameless in what he says. What he's saying about Job and about God is commendable. And that's why God says nothing about him, because he's saying what God himself is going to say later on. Yeah, I I think we're dealing with a young man who sees things pretty black and white. And clearly, and I, it doesn't seem that he sees thing or says thing anything that's amiss or wrong here. It's just a matter of does he have the tact that he should have in dealing with his elders in uh, in commenting on these things? Because in chapter thirty four, which is the the second half of our reading today, he really turns the barrels again on everybody, and so he's moved off Job, and now he's coming again at everybody, and uh, and he's really after upholding the justice of God and encouraging eventually with Job specifically just more faith and even repentance again from from Job here, um, but he he has some strong words to the the three friends there he. I think sarcastically in verse 10 says, hear me, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness. I mean, I mean, there, God is not, is not evil in this. God is not wicked in this. Uh, according to the work of man, he will repay him according to his ways. He will make it befall him of a truth. God will not do wickedly. The almighty will not pervert justice. Um, he goes on and is, uh, is talking about God's uh, sovereign authority here. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. This shows a, a, an understanding from Elihu even of the, the creative um, order here that, that God breathes life into man. And he says if, if he would gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Verses uh, 16 through 20. Sorry, I'm going to... You got some dust in your throat here? So one question I had, I never want to disagree with Dr. Carson, but when you look at verses 7 through 9, what man is like Job, who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. I don't know. It seems like Elihu, for all that he does do positively and what he argues for God, still brings something to the table that doesn't sit quite right. So... Well, another thing that Carson says about Elihu and that I think is something to keep in mind as you interpret 
this whole section here. He talks about Elihu having a pretentious demeanor, uh, and he's, he says he's patently an arrogant and pretentious young man. Probably he is a great wise man in the making, but still far too full of himself and too certain of his own opinions. Seems like that's pretty evidence uh, of youthfulness. You have this inflated sense of self, this inflated sense of understanding, and true humility is really recognizing your role in life and understand that to be humble, to have a sense of fear of God, to quote Job twenty eight twenty eight, and to walk in rightness is really the starting place. And I don't know if Elihu really has it in spades. Yeah, it'll. It, who know dealing with the Old Testament is is sometimes so difficult. I, I do think we have a God fear in Elihu, so maybe when yes. we get to eternity, we can find out a little it's bit probably more. Probably tisking me right now yeah. from heaven, like, dude, what a jerk you are. Maybe you think I'm proud. <laughs> Listen to yourself, homie. Um, verse twenty one, though, it's interesting here. He says his eyes are on all the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. Essentially, here in twenty one through thirty, specifically. Elihu saying to Job, Job, God doesn't need a trial with you. God doesn't need you to show up and give your defense. God knows everything. He's he doesn't the judge of all the earth. Right. He he's he doesn't need a case to be made before him before he decides on what he wants to do with a man. He knows a man thoroughly. He knows a all facts. the way. Right. That's true. And uh, and so he's saying so this this idea that you need to be heard before God, you can put that to rest because that's that's neither here nor there. God doesn't need you to lay your case out. He knows already everything, and knows your character. And then in verses 31 and following, he's really kind of calling for uh, repentance still, I think, from Job when he says, has anyone said, I've borne punishment, I will not offend anymore. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. And then he says, will he then make repayment to suit you because you reject it? In other words, you're not repentant. You're not sorrowful over the the things that may be there in your life that you're you're being disciplined over. And so this, again, is, is one of those situations where it's like, okay, I, I almost see some parallels with Elihu and some of the other friends here towards the end of this particular diatribe that he's giving. Yeah, and that's what makes it so challenging here. So if we could give you any encouragement as you make your way through this, compare it to what you already know in Scripture. As you look at Elihu's words, decide for yourself, okay, does this line up with what we already know to be true about Job and about everything else that God has revealed in Scripture? The one advantage we have over Elihu is that we have all of God's written words. We have all that God intended to deliver to us between two leather covers or on an iPad or an iPhone if you're using one of those devices. We have all that that God has. So another encouragement I would give you as you're reading through your Bible, one of the nice things about those digital devices is that you can click on the little letters next to the verse and it'll give you all these cross references. Those are often very helpful. If you haven't done that before, it takes a few extra minutes as you make your way through the text, but it's very helpful because then you get a sense of, okay, I see where Job is drawing from or where Elihu is potentially drawing from. Lots of helpfulness in the cross references. Definitely use them. Definitely. Uh, Book of Acts chapter 13 for our New Testament today. And we are picking up in the rest of chapter 13. So again, we covered 23 verses yesterday and now we're in verses 24 all the way down through verse 52. Yeah. And and again, it's like, come on, whoever made this. There's so much here. How many words Uh, are in this thing right here? I, I don't more, know more than yesterday for sure. Yeah, I don't know. But but here it's it's really pretty awe-inspiring when we read this just to see this master class of preaching from the Apostle Paul. And it's different than the preaching that you or I would do, Pastor Rod, right? Because I so I, I mean, Paul, under the, the authority of the, the spirit who's leading and guiding him as he's preaching this is using scriptures to support his arguments. But his arguments are yeah, also biblical, right? Oh, yeah. that <laughs> Meaning... <laughs> Some people, I think, have accused Paul of doing harm to the text at times by grabbing scripture out of context and using it however he wants to here to support something that they're going to argue, oh, well, that never meant that. And Paul's just making it mean that. Yeah. 
but we also have to remember Paul's writing inspired scripture and speaking inspired scripture as he's preaching this under the, the, the guidance of the spirit, right? As Peter says that, that Paul's being carried along by the spirit as he's recording these things, as he's preaching these things. Right. And so he possesses an apostolic authority over even the word of God here under the inspiration of the spirit to do things with the scriptures that maybe we wouldn't do on a normal basis. For for instance, we here, I, I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to go, hey, we're in John chapter one and we're going to preach John chapter one. Or even if it's more of a, of a topical or topogetical sermon, it's going to say, here's the text first. Let me explain the text. And then here's the point that we're making out of that. Not here's the point, And then here's a couple of scriptures to try to support the point. So when Paul does cite passages in a seemingly counterintuitive way or a counter contextual way. Um, how do we best understand that then? I, I think we understand that through the fact that this is, this is God providing a, a, just a, another layer of interpretation on the text that this is not Paul's mind interpreting that text for us, but this is again, Paul under the inspiration of the spirit. So this is God shedding new light on the, the text that maybe at the, the time didn't mean that at that moment, but now in application to it, to, to Christ, does mean that in this context. So spirit intended revelation, it's not on the the blank face of the text, but it is the deeper sense of the text, the true meaning of the text that's been revealed by the spirit. Right. Right. For example, Habakkuk 1:5 was not dealing with the the audience that Paul was speaking to at the time. When in Habakkuk 1:5, which is recorded in verse 41 of chapter 13, it says, "Look you scoffers be astounded and perish for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. That's God speaking to Habakkuk, getting them ready to, to suffer under the Babylonians. Right. Paul's bringing it here and saying, hey, be careful that this isn't said of you as well here, right? And and it's like the Jeremiah, what is it, 29, 11? The, the, oh, yeah, I know the plans I, I know have the plans. for you. Right, and, and everybody's like, oh, well, careful of taking that because are you about to go into exile? Because that's what God was talking about, right? right? Paul's doing a little bit of that here, but he's doing that under the, the inspiration of the Spirit and the authority of the Spirit, as you were saying, allowing it to be a, a Spirit-applied or Spirit-interpreted use of the text here. All right, so we just said that what we're looking at in verse 41 is the is Habakkuk 1.5. Why is it that Habakkuk 1.5 reads differently in Acts 13.41 that it actually reads in Habakkuk 5 when I go up to my, my ESV? Because Paul was not preaching out of the ESV. What? Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? I thought the ESV was around since the beginning of time. You know, it was. Uh, it's not the eternal standard version. Oh. It's the. Is yeah. It's the English standard That's version. That's why. I've been... No, Paul was probably most likely. Likely, in fact, I think he was using the Septuagint, which is the the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. And there are some textual variants in that, and and sometimes there's even verse variants in that, where right. a verse will be a different verse than yeah, different it, number. It is in our Bibles, and again, don't panic about that because the verses in chapter divisions are not inspired. The verses in chapter divisions were put in there by editors at a later time. Right. For helpful reference. For helpful reference. Right. Yeah. They're not bad, but they're, they're not inspired either. But the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so that was what was the most commonplace uh, scripture used by the the early church as the early church was growing. So if you're reading in one of your study Bibles or one of your commentaries, you might see the, the letters LXX. LXX is shorthand reference to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So FYI, as you're reading along, when you see these differences, that's going to be the reason 99% of the time. Yep. What I I just noticed in this sermon was just how many times Paul was, was trying to get them to see, hey, it's all about Jesus, right? I mean, he's pointing to them and saying, hey, scripture 
it, it points to Jesus as he's saying, those who live in Jerusalem, their rulers, they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets. And he's talking about Jesus there. Right. He's saying scripture points to Jesus. Uh, verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and are now witnesses to his people. But right before that, sorry, verse 29, they carried out all that was written of him. Scripture points to the cross even. And then in, uh, as it goes on, this he fulfilled as we bring to you the good news that God promised to the fathers, this he fulfilled to us, their children by raising Jesus. Scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. It's all about Christ. And that's what Paul and preaching to this Jewish group who knew the old Testament scripture so well is trying to get them that, to see that, that it's all about Jesus. Amen. And I would add to that verse 38. Take a look at this. I just want to point out to you again, salvation by grace through faith and not by baptism. Verse 38 says this, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And if you see a little number next to the word freed in your ESV, it's going to point you to the bottom of your page, which says the Greek actually says justified. Hmm. So everyone who believes is justified from everything from which you could not be justified under the law of Moses. And of course, the word justified means to be declared righteous in a formal legal sense. You can be made right with God through belief alone and not baptism. Right, right. That, yeah, justification. It's not just not guilty, right? Because a hung jury can produce not guilty. Mm. This is not just not guilty. This is you You are innocent is the declaration that comes with righteousness. Wow. And you're innocent in Christ with his merit. One more note for us, verse 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as Uh-oh. were appointed to Uh-oh. eternal life believed. You're going there. I, it's there, right? There and I, I feel like it's a neon sign and we got to deal with it as, as we're reading this, right? What does that mean? As many were, as were appointed to eternal life believed. Well, this is where we get into the, the doctrine of election, that, that there are, uh, there are, are believers who are, are Christians and well, all believers who are Christians, <laughs> there, are Christians. Um, there are Christians and there are words. No, <laughs> the, those that believe were those that God wanted to believe those that God had appointed to believe. Now, let me give this caveat. That doesn't mean that some who were here didn't believe at a latter time. It means that at this moment, these are the ones that at this moment in time, God had appointed to respond to this sermon from Paul in faith. And so I, I, that's where I think sometimes we can pound the Calvinist pulpit too hard to say like, well, look, this is all about election and, and just focus on election here. here. Here's the thing. If you've got an unbelieving spouse or son or daughter at home or somebody that you love in your life or just your, your coworkers or whatever, and you're going, okay, well, maybe they're not appointed to believe. You don't know. And we don't know that, right? Right. And maybe the, the two dozen times you've preached the gospel to them before, they didn't respond in, in faith because they weren't appointed to believe in that at, at that moment. But it might be that they're appointed to believe the next time you share the gospel with them. So I, I, I don't want us to take the, I, I'm not here to pound the pulpit, contrary to what Pastor Rod may have thought I was about to do, <laughs> on the, the tulip or the doctrines of grace. I, I, I love those things and I, and I believe in them. However, I, I just want you to, to, to be encouraged that, that that doesn't mean that we sit back and we pick and choose. We don't choose who gets saved. God does. And we don't know who that is. Praise God, right? So I often will say, believe like a Calvinist, witness like an Arminian, because you have no idea who it is that, that is going to bow the knee in faith and repentance to God. It's going to be those who he appoints, but we don't know when or who that will be. Right. And Spurgeon made that point a long time ago, and he said that people don't have a mark on their bodies to signify, oh, they're one of the elect. Let me preach to those people. Therefore, our job is not to discern who is or who isn't elect. Our for job sure. is to scatter the seed and let God be responsible for the results. Totally. 
Well, the Jews don't like what's going on, and they incite the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they persecute uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they drive them out of the district. So it's an unfortunate note as it ends. Uh, they shake off the dust from their feet, and then they uh, they move on. But the disciples are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So God is on the move, and God is working here as the first missionary journey commences. That's right. Antioch and Pisidia. They're about to leave uh, Pisidian Antioch and go back to where they came from. But that ends, actually, they're going to Iconium. I take that back at the very end of the passage here. They're going to Iconium, and then they're going to make their round around there once more and then head back. But for now, we end this exciting drama in Antioch, and uh, excuse me, Pisidian Antioch. And we get a chance to see what Paul is going to do next. This is the first missionary journey. This is the church expanding in the in the ends of the earth. So stay tuned. Keep reading your Bible. Stay plugged in. Hey, and we don't know who's appointed to eternal life, but we do know that you're appointed to tune in again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Do we really know that? I'm just saying. Do Maybe. We? Okay. I hope they do. See you tomorrow. See ya. Maybe. I hope you. I hope we see you. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. (laughs) 